Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. You're listening to the Revenge of the Birds podcast, part of the SB Nation Podcast Network, hosted by Blake Murphy 7 and Johnny Touchdown, all about your Arizona Cardinals. Hello, welcome in. This is the Revenge of the Birds podcast, your complete Cardinals coverage. We're recording here on a uh, Wednesday night covering Sunday's game against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Uh, I'm Blake Murphy 7 on Twitter. I'm the co-host of the podcast. And joining me as always is my fellow co-host, mobile at least right now, um, staying safe on the road. We have um, the venerable John Venerable joining us as always. Uh, John, how are you doing? And uh, what have you been up to that's kind of got you uh, a little bit out of studio, I guess you could say, tonight? Yeah, bear with me, friends. I am uh, traveling for work uh, along the Oregon coast, and um, it was nice enough to, to ring it up for me to call in tonight uh, because we've got a good amount to discuss following a probably the toughest, I would say the toughest loss of the season, uh, considering how much the Cardinals really controlled the game. Um, but it was the defense of Arizona that reared its ugly head again. Uh, and Blake, the, the hot seat for one Vance Joseph is getting warmer by the week. And, um, it's not looking good heading into San Francisco this weekend. Yeah, no, I agree. The, Biggest thing I think that I took away from the game overall, John, with the loss, just as we will break down some of the game, at least as we get started. But to me, it did feel like you said that this was a game that the Cardinals should have probably won some of the range of 37 to 20 with the way that they played. Um, There were definitely issues that did pop up throughout the game overall. Mostly, like you said, it did center on the fact that the Cardinals defense played the game in such a way that even with Jameis Winston turning the ball over multiple times, even with a fumble by Ronald Jones in the fourth quarter in a clutch situation, you still needed a practically perfect game from the offense in order to win it, which in some cases is inexcusable. Now, what I will say, obviously, is there are a few plays that do stand out that would have really turned the tide for the Arizona Cardinals, uh, as well as just their efficiency on third down. They were one of ten on third down. Now, they did go for it on fourth down three times, Got two of those fourth downs. One of them ended up being potentially a game changer as well. Um, Let's go and talk about some of that game to get started because it got off with a bang as far as the third snap of the game, or I should say the third throw of the game. Uh, Jameis Winston gets picked off by Byron Murphy, which is the first interception of his career and something that you really wanted to see because Murphy was throughout the game locked up on Chris Godwin. John, what were your thoughts, at least, with Murphy, with how he's been you know, growing and developing? He's given up quite a few touchdowns, it seems, in coverage this year, but this was an area that I felt like was great to see some of those ball skills from him, especially right at the start of the game in Tampa Bay territory. Yeah, the break on that opening drive ball and um, secure that interception, I mean, he looked like Patrick Peterson. I mean, that's a, that's a Patrick Peterson type of play. And outside of late in the game, I think the last drive for Tampa, Chris Godwin was basically held in check by the young rookie. And and like you mentioned, Blake, that's what you want to see in terms of development midway through the season, becoming more and more confident. Uh, And Tampa has probably the most explosive receiving core in the league. Jamison Godwin, I think, were one and two in receiving yards coming into this game. 
so Tampa loves to, to sling the rock. And, you know, for, for a young player that's on a defense that has minimal impact defenders, he has been one of the lone bright spots defensively. And you can really say that alongside an emerging Budapaker and then probably somebody like Chandler Jones, you know, those are your three depth bright spots defensively with the rest of the unit really struggling. And you saw it this week. It wasn't so much the explosive plays, Blake. It was the long, drawn-out, methodical drives. Nothing showcases the deficiencies of this team more defensively than they let Jameis win ridiculous rushing stats against them that prolonged multiple drives that really, in a couple of scenarios, might have ended the game. And so they just, to me, look like a unit that, yes, is deprived of talent, but you watch other offenses operate, and the Cardinal defense, specifically at linebacker and at safety, look like a team that's running in slow motion or they're in quicksand. And you just you miss the athleticism of somebody like Carlos Dansby in his prime or, or Daryl Washington. The Cardinals don't have that kind of linebacker on the roster. They thought that was going to be Hassan Reddick. That is blown up in their face. Uh, they took an outside pass rusher at 13th overall and thought they could convert him into a, a three-down inside linebacker, and it just hasn't worked out. Jordan Hicks has been fine, um, but he still is one step too slow and has trouble covering tight ends. The defensive line is very much deprived of elite um you know, explosive town in the, in the interior. Although I thought Rodney Gunter probably had his best game of the season. So it just, Byron Murphy is the lone bright spot for me, Blake, along with Buda Baker as young building blocks. I, I say young because Chandler Jones is, you know, is in his upper twenties. He's going to be, I think 30 next year. So it's, it's a unit that needs young players to emerge. And it's unfortunate. We just got word that Zach Callen's going on IR for the year so that's another young player that that was going to contribute that hasn't and really we're, we're looking at it very much a complete makeover you would think in the offseason but kudos to byron murphy he's played nearly every snap defensively since week one and you know it's exciting to see his emergence yeah after patrick peterson took on an injury later in the game which we'll be able to highlight murphy essentially took over for him in terms of covering mike evans and Overall, it wasn't one of those huge monster games that you got to see from Evans or from um, even from Chris Godwin. Only about 74 yards for him. Ronald Jones was actually the uh, second leading receiver on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Jameis had about 40 yards rushing, but as you said, John, two of those came in clutch third down situations. Uh, anyway, going back to the Cardinals, the game kind of started out about as poorly as uh, almost even as expected as it could be for the Cardinals after the interception. Um, Kyler was just a little bit off on that very first drive. On second and 14, he overthrows Farrell Cooper. On third and 14, kind of a little bit flushed out of the pocket, throws kind of right at the sticks to Keyshawn Johnson. Would have probably been uh, about fourth and short if he's tackled right there. Maybe he breaks a tackle and you're at first and goal. But he came off and was just a little bit high on some of those throws. Um, did end up settling down. There was another high throw, at least, that we'll talk about that ended up being one of the kind of game-changing plays to keep the Cardinals in it. But the very next drive, 11 plays. Cardinals essentially were not able to stop any sort of screen passes whatsoever. Third and 15, you have a screen pass to Ronald Jones for 17 yards. Get to third and six, and you've got a defensive holding penalty in Patrick Peterson that negates a eight-yard sack. Cardinals bring the blitz. Peterson is called for defensive holding. And then you look at... Then just driving right down the middle for the most part with a um, shot to Mike Evans. Patrick Peterson was a step behind in coverage. Great catch by Evans. It looked for a second like Jalen Thompson would intercept. He climbs the ladder, makes the catch. And then Ronald Jones at the Arizona 7-yard line rushes in for a touchdown. So again, you have the same type of pattern where um, even though the Cardinals are able to force the turnover, they're just not able to take advantage in the red zone, and they're not able to... Um, uh, essentially, yeah, because they were in the red zone there at the Tampa Bay 19-yard line. Um, they had to kick another field goal. Uh, coming off of that, you kind of had a exchange of field goals where the Cardinals are able to kind of go back and forth. You have kind of a nice, 
nice overall looking drive. The biggest thing that kind of stands out overall is Cardinals are looking to hand the ball off a lot that day, even though it's a Todd Bowles defense. David Johnson, however, had losses of, I think it was eight-yard loss, a four-yard loss, a loss of no no gain. Uh, essentially, you're looking at some of the plays, some highlights people have seen. Uh, Johnson was just not a factor at all. He ended up averaging overall for the game. Let me make sure I have this correct as far as the rushing. Uh, he had f- uh, five carries for two yards. That's less than half a yard per carry. His longest run of the day that he had essentially was five yards, but he just kept losing and taking negative yardage, didn't have a lot of the explosion. And while we knew that the Bucks' rush defense with Todd Bowles is great and their secondary is what gets torched, um, it was still something that was disappointing to watch, and they ended up turning into a clutch moment um, late overall in the game. So when you reach the half, essentially, um, you're looking at the Cardinals end up having a couple of times they'll punt back and forth, and then you have a beautiful, uh, I believe it was nine-play, 96-yard drive. The Cardinals end up starting at the four-yard line. Um, this is kind of where the game changed a bit for the Cardinals. You end up seeing at least a deep pass left to Andy Isabella for about 17 yards. Um, he comes back to the ball. And that was kind of the wake-up moment um, for Arizona, at least. The, uh, two, that was the wake-up moment, and you had Kyler Murray at the Arizona four-yard line. A designed run for about 32 yards gets them not only out of danger, but gets Murray down the field. So what do you? What were your thoughts on like the design run, and do you feel like we should have gotten more of Murray running the football in this game, or do you think that what we got was what we needed overall to see John with you know one or two times per game? What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I thought it, it definitely sparked him right before half, and it was a great call by Kingsbury. And because the Tampa defense is so stout against the run, you had to get creative because you couldn't become completely one-dimensional especially with Shaq Barrett, you know, rushing Justin Pugh at right tackle. You had to keep the defense a little bit honest, even with Tampa's, you know, atrocious secondary. You know, I thought that was the turning point in the game when they scored the touchdown right before half, and then they got completely deflated. They let Jameis Winston go 50 uh, in 50 seconds, like 75-plus yards, forward the touchdown to end the half. Um, but to, to Kyler Murray and the offense's credit, they put up 27 points, Blake, and probably left an additional 21 points on the field. You think about the drop pass for Max Williams on fourth down, beautiful design by Kingsbury. Williams lost it in the sun, no excuse, but that's probably a walk-in touchdown. So there's example number one. Example number two is the David Johnson fumble. The Cardinals, like you mentioned, get a Jordan Hicks interception. They're in the red zone. They're moving the ball efficiently. Kyler hits a strike to David Johnson up the seam for nine yards on second down. And he goes down and completely loses the football. And that's a big momentum changer. And then, of course, the last series of the game, or excuse me, second last series of the game for the Arizona Cardinals, Kyler Murray throwing the interception, his first in, since week five against Seattle. But again, Trent Sherfield falling down and has no ability to play on the ball. And it's just, just an easy interception for Tampa. There's, there's three instances in the red zone. If they score touchdowns every possession, which is asking a lot, that's 21 points. But at minimum, it's nine points, and it's a complete game changer, and this game isn't close. Um, I saw multiple people on Twitter from national media outlets saying that this feels like the Cardinals should be up by double digits, yet it's tied. And just the mistakes, the compounded mistakes, again, it's a young team, but you know, I'll give the offense all the credit in the world. You know, They came on the road, they put up 27 points, and the, and the Cardinals won the turnover battle 3-2, to two, and they still lost. That's an indictment of this defense. That's an indictment of the coaching defensively and the personnel. It's an indictment of guys like Patrick Peterson, who did not play particularly well, had the big offsides penalty on the uh, attempted field goal late in the game that allowed Tampa to convert. Their, their field goal kicker made it after missing it, thanks to a Patrick Peterson. I think it was a neutral zone infraction. And then, you know, I, I'm not sure the extent of his injury, but it just, it's just it's the dramatic aspect of, of him right now. It, I, I, go, I go back to this every week, Blake. Like, what would this team be like? Yes, they would be poor defensively still. you got a first-round pick in your back pocket for Patrick Peterson, and instead you're watching whatever that was on Sunday. That's, that's the frustrating part for me. Right. Um, because you look at that, you look at his play, maybe his body's breaking down. And, and you got to think to yourself, man, did we, did we really blow an opportunity to maximize on his value? Certainly last year, 
but you talk about coming back from the suspension, how vocal he's been. Uh, it just, to me, it's, it's not a good situation right now. And it, it leads me into the next you know, point of discussion. You've got two of your five highest played players on the team, David Johnson and Patrick Peterson. We've, we've outlined the issues with Patrick. With David, it's much more concerning because his play looks like it's plummeted. And he, in my opinion, looks like somebody that should be on IR right now, whether it's compounding issues with his back, he's beat up from, you know, earlier in the season. There is a play that's being tossed around Twitter right now of him taking, you know, a designed handoff from Kyler Murray. And he, it's like he's walking to the line of scrimmage and he's going in slow motion. I, he's got no explosiveness, no explosiveness left in his game right now. And this isn't a new development, but early in the season, he was getting open for pass plays. He was separating. He cannot separate from defenders, and he has no ability to move laterally right now. I think the Cardinals would be best served to shut him down for the year. And then you go into next year, and you've got some serious decisions to make. Peterson's on the last year of his contract. Theoretically, you could deal him, but you're not going to maximize his value like you could have. And then David Johnson, he's got my major cap implications the next two seasons guaranteed money if you decide to move off of him so if you're able to find a trade partner which is unlikely fine or you're in a position where they want to bring back Kendrick Kendrick Drake Blake and you're going to think about potentially moving David Johnson to a to a different position the whole thing just just screams like the Cardinals have made compounded mistake after compounded mistake and now and now they're paying for it they're losing games because of two of their quote-unquote best players and and that's really disappointing to see yeah definitely I think that's where if you're going to talk about the three biggest game-changing plays one of them I think at least you could say goes to the defense after that great drive that the Cardinals make a touchdown to Christian Kirk they allow the uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers with a minute left to simply just march down the field. You got to see um, essentially a uh, kind of a big, I believe, at least return for the most part as a touchback. But you have a you know, pickup by Mike Evans. You end up seeing then um, O.J. Howard, who really has done nothing all year. He has caught like very almost no passes. Um, saves a big 26-yard catch. It seems like there was at least some sort of blown coverage. And then there is another blown coverage with about 12 seconds left. They're at the, uh, it was at the Arizona, I believe it was, 10-yard line. And he had a mix-up at least. O.J. Howard ends up pretty much uncovered for a touchdown. And that just took a lot of the wind out of the sails where instead of being 13-10 and getting the ball in the second half, you end up having the Cardinals be down coming out and needing essentially to um, have a pretty much perfect game like we said for the most part because you're coming out trailing so the Cardinals end up finally at least being able to excel with some um with some fantastic at least play calls overall they give up another field goal to the Bucks, which is just it's just crazy to me to think that like when you're coming out in the second half the Cardinals defense while they were able to get a few takeaways they weren't able to really do much to stop the Bucks. like there was only I believe at least like uh, there's only a handful of punts that the Bucks actually had in the game. It was they were either scoring or turning it over. Um, you did at least see a uh, huge touchdown play from Kyler Murray to Christian Kirk, uh, his first touchdown of the year, which you actually called ahead of time, at least for the game. We knew it was only a matter of time. And then the Cardinals end up getting another Jameis Winston interception. Um, you see at least a poorly, a good pass rush overall that the Cardinals have is intercepted by Jordan Hicks, Buda Baker, at least in coverage forces that off of Chris Godwin. And that to me, like you said, John is another one of the highlights of Buda Baker has just taken his play in the last few games. He led the team in tackles, essentially forced an interception for Hicks. Um, the Cardinals get the ball back. And then you look and you have a second and nine. David Johnson is in the passing game. And all of a sudden, you throw the ball to David Johnson for eight yards. He's close. The ball gets stripped, pulled away from David Johnson. So not only is he not running the ball effectively, he's just essentially not securing it, gives it right back to the Niners, right at the Tampa Bay 19-yard line. So that's two times now that you're essentially in that type of range. And then the most important time, at least, obviously, being at the interception at the end of the game. Um, you did have a clutch pass where Cliff Kingsbury went for it on fourth down. The ball was just a little bit high. Larry Fitzgerald makes an incredible catch overall, and you got to see this be the 
uh, Fitzgerald show. You got to see this be the Christian Kirk show with the touchdowns. And then you also got to see Andy Isabella for the most part. Um, he had, I believe, a 55-yard passing catch that he did. He just essentially cut it upfield. Guys couldn't stop him. It was awesome to be able to see him essentially kind of find his role in the offense. He's not going to be a guy who's on the field for every down, but they'll get him involved. They'll be able to make sure that they're at least designing plays where he's got a lot of space in front of him, and he's able to make a lot of big plays. The Cardinals are able to uh, essentially drive down and have another touchdown pass to um, uh, was another touchdown pass to Christian Kirk, and the game ends on a weird like people were even talking about this nationally. It was just the the rails went off of the game after that last touchdown. the The play at least that seemed to be defining of the game for the Buccaneers where. Uh, Ronald Jones fumbles the ball without even being hit back to the Cardinals. Buda Baker scoops it up. The Cardinals then end up having six plays. They drive down. They're at the Tampa Bay 15-yard line. And this is kind of more of the play where there's three elements that broke down. You had Tampa Bay is two guys that are essentially kind of unblocked that are watching Kyler Murray. He kind of drifts back under pressure. You have a play call that at the 15-yard line should probably be going at least to the edges, maybe even looking at a delayed handoff because – uh, a touchdown wins you the game. A field goal forces the nine, uh, the um, excuse me, the Buccaneers, essentially to have to go for the onside kick even if they score because there's just not going to be enough time left. Bruce Arians wasted, used up all of his timeouts, even used up a challenge, got penalized for throwing a essentially t- challenge flag when he didn't have a timeout to give. Takes on a penalty, wanted to make a point for that. Um, they just take maybe a little bit of a risky call. Kyler Murray throws it up, and like you mentioned, Trent Sherfield kind of gets bumped into on the play, falls down on the play. The ball is picked off, and the Cardinals' defense is not able to get any sort of stop whatsoever. They drive down the field in six plays at least. The defense was not able to do anything. You had a defensive pass. Uh, let me see. I think it was a – no, it wasn't a defense. You had a um, – a incomplete short pass to Mike Evans, and they checked for that one. With there was going to be a pass interference call, and weirdest call in the world. They don't call a flag on the field. They reverse the call, call Jalen Thompson for defensive pass interference. The Niners get essentially three more shots from the one yard line, and they end up scoring at least and go up. The Cardinals take over, only needing a field goal. You have a run up the middle. You have a incomplete pass to Christian Kirk. And the game ends at least on a a uh, what was it a defensive pass interference penalty at least for that on Vernon Hargraves for Christian Kirk, and then a non-call defensive pass interference. So John, what were your thoughts on the call? Is this a case where the refs are somewhat to blame for the fact that the Cardinals didn't get a chance to tie? They just walked off the field. They said they didn't review it. Some people have mentioned that they viewed it as almost a hail mary play when clearly it wasn't. But what were your thoughts on the controversial ending? And do you think this is tied at all to the fact that maybe the maybe there's a little bit of is is there any agenda against Cliff that we're not seeing? Um, maybe, but I have a newsflash for everybody that's complaining about the Tampa pass interference earlier, right before they scored. They were going to score anyway. That play happened on like second down. I, I have full confidence that the Cardinals were going to give up a touchdown there, whether or not they got the penalty. Um, so that, that really didn't bother me. I was just looking at the time just to see how much, you know, availability Kyler Murray was going to have to, to go down and, and, and potentially get the tying field goal. So, yeah, I mean, I, I've never seen that happen before. I think that was the first time in NFL history that it's been uh, reviewed in the final two minutes, then reversed. Um, yeah, at least this season I, again, for sure. Yeah, at least the season for yeah, sure. That's the I, new rule. I, right. I don't – the Cardinals were giving up a touchdown. They hadn't stopped him all day. They were gassed. They were, you know, I, um, it is what it is. Now, on the final drive, yeah, you got, uh, you know, I screamed at my television. You've got legitimate um, argument to make that Farrah Cooper was clearly impacted by the defender behind him. But, again, end of game, um, not Hail Mary, but end of game penalties are, are rare. We, we rarely see them. I know it's an, an automatic um, spot of the foul, and then you get an additional play. The Cardinals would have been, would have been able to tie uh, with a potential uh, field goal there. But, again, I, I, I don't remember the last time I've seen the clock expire and then a flag be thrown for interference and then that team be given one more play. It's just not a play they call often. Um, but, yeah, do I think the, the, the last two minutes were 
almost kind of favored to Tampa? Sure. But again, it's, it's what we talked about earlier, Blake. It's the multiple trips inside the red zone coming away with no points. It's the defense allowing Jameis Winston to operate successfully offensively and put up 30 points on them. I mean, that uh, the Cardinals had 10 days to prepare for Jameis defensively, and they looked awful. They couldn't stop the screens. Aaron screened them to death because he knows that they can't tackle in space. I mean, like, seriously, had Ronald Jones not fumbled they on that previous possession, they probably would have scored on that drive. The, the Cardinal defense, you know, I, I was a big defender of Vance Joseph being um, brought back for an, an additional year. And I'm not sure I'm ready to fire him yet because I don't think that's a good look firing a defensive coach, um, you know, when he has essentially nothing to work with. But man, it, it this unit, it's way worse than I, I thought. I thought they would be like best case scenario, like late teens, early twenties. Um, and then, you know, the, the further we got like into the preseason, there were a lot of red flags. They couldn't stop anybody then. Um, and then, you know, it's it's gut punch after gut punch. You've got, you know, two defensive linemen in the offseason and Philon and Kibichi you think are going to be contributors. Both are gone. Those are probably your two most talented defensive linemen. Your inside linebacker that you took 13th overall is a bust, and he got hurt in the preseason. Your best corner and probably your best defensive player is suspended for the first six games. And your free agent corner that you gave, I think, $24 million to in a three-year contract breaks his leg. Yeah, you sign a fit. You sign a pass rusher of Terrell Suggs, who's in his late thirties. It's clearly just collecting checks at this point. I mean, it's it's a debacle, and they need multiple players at each level defensively in order to get back to some kind of respectability. The Cardinals are in a position right now, offensively, where you could make a legitimate argument, especially with their schedule down the stretch. They have to put up. 25 to 30 points per game to even have a chance to win. They would have had to put up 30 points in this game to tie it 30 plus points to win it against a bad two and six Tampa team. The only game in which I believe that the Cardinals won that they kept the opposing team under 20 points was the giants game. And I think the giants were at right around 20, the Cardinals right now. It's like, it's like Kyler Murray's back at Oklahoma. And he's got to score on every possession. It's really <laughs> it's like Cliff Kingsbury's at Texas Tech playing all these big time right. defenses that can't stop anyone. Right. The, the, but you know, the good news is for the Cardinals is you know I I know fans are frustrated and you should be, but you know watching that game, having a chance to reflect afterwards, at, at least we're in a position where we can enjoy these games because they're competitive. Because they weren't like this time last year, they weren't competitive at all. They were over by early third quarter. The Cardinals are very watchable, especially offensively. They've got their quarterback for the future. I, I'm, I feel comfortable saying that definitively. Kyler Murray broke the rookie record for most completions without an interception. He broke it by about 40 attempts. Yeah, National got, attention he, 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 is coming in where even Daniel Jeremiah tweeted out today, hey, Ky- Kyler, he's going to be a great one. He's going to be a star in the league. And it's like we're still seeing more of the national narrative, despite the fact that the Cardinals it's have lost three games in a row. People are still praising the play of their quarterback and how he's and growing people, and, and developing. Everybody knows the state of this Cardinal roster, and I think that makes people all the more impressed with Murray. Whereas you see guys, maybe like a Baker Mayfield, I know he's in his, year, his second year, but you see guys like a Baker Mayfield struggle with guys like Jarvis Landry, Odell Beckham, Nick Chubb, I would say an improved offensive line compared to Arizona, and he is horrendous this year. Whereas Kyler Murray, these are his projections. I tweeted them out. I think he's going to eclipse a couple of these, but he's going he's gonna to pass for almost 4,100 yards, which will be 100 yards outside of Andrew Luck's rookie passing record. He's going to rush. He's on pace for a little over 500 yards, and he's on pace total touchdowns for right around 23 19 to 20 of those would be passing. I think he's going to get closer to 25 total touchdowns because of the fact that they've begun much more of a vertical passing game with Isabella and Kirk back in the fold, and their offensive line has seemed to settle down. I mean, you're, you're talking about almost 4,700 total yards and 25 touchdowns for a rookie on a bad team. That's right. incredible. And it's a double what they were looking at last year as far as with even extending out what Rosen's production would have been for 16 games. 
you're it, it, again like the the stat that they popped out was in the first I believe it was ten games having twenty five thousand passing yards and I believe it was at least or sorry excuse me I think it was at twenty two hundred or so for Murray and then the rushing yards it's only really been done by two quarterbacks before in their first ten games with Cam Newton. And I believe the other one was, unless I'm mistaken, I believe it was Randall Cunningham um, to look at. But it's just showing the case of that the Cardinals are in great hands with Murray. They're also in great hands with Kingsbury, who, like we said, John, probably had dialed up an easy wide-open touchdown to uh, Max Williams. Um, he went for it three times on fourth down. I know one of those conversions, at least, was essentially with a penalty um, that ended up being the case, but he's just been able to kind of roll the dice a bit more often. He's been very solid at converting those opportunities. You're still seeing weekly growth for him. We overall. haven't even they talked some... about the fake punt yet. Yeah, no, we haven't even talked. The fake punt was probably the biggest play, at least that I, I would say almost of the season. They went and broke down a great job of it with the azcardinals.com. Uh, the play was called Egypt because it was the ball designed to go to Farrow Cooper. One of the most, I, I remember we had Wizenhunt fake punts that we've seen. I saw Arians kind of pull some interesting ones out of the bag when they were going for, um, um, you know, like at least for some of the fourth down play calls, a little bit with trickery. This was one of the most creative ones because it almost looked like a Sean McVay play call where you had one guy take the snap directly with Ezekiel Turner. He hands it around over uh, across the corner. They toss it back to Andy Lee, who's got no one around him because the entire line flows to the right. The misdirection, the way that Kingsbury designed it essentially was he took advantage at least of knowing, hey, if I pull off this type of a play call, all of a sudden no one's going to even be thinking about my puncher. He gets the ball back. Lee throws it, and he's like, all right, he looks a little bit covered. Maybe he's not as covered for that one. He throws the ball. It's a little bit short. What's great about the decision he made, at least, was he put it in a ball where the uh, corner was had no idea where the ball was, wasn't looking back. Uh, Cooper recognizes, came back from the ball, ensured that he was going to make the catch, and even if he didn't, he was made sure that he was interfered with. The Cardinals end up getting the first down. They go down and score a touchdown. It was one of those type of moments where you get to see not just the faith that Kingsbury have, um, but it also at least gives a bit of confidence for a team that, outside of week one, hasn't been the best on special teams. It gives you a lot of confidence in special teams coach Jeff Rogers moving forward to be able to make that call for Kingsbury to trust his team in that situation and to put the Cardinals back in the game. Now, it also shows, in my opinion, John, they did not trust their defense whatsoever for them to punt it back to them that the defense is going to be able to get a stop. That's what also was frustrating me about this call as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I'll highlight that the special teams have been really solid lately. The return game, you know, it is what it is, but Zane Gonzalez is probably going to a Pro Bowl. Andy Lee's been phenomenal yep. outside of a couple shanks here and there. He's been fantastic. I, the special teams for the car, I mean, you had to rank the order of the three units. You'd go offense one, special teams two, and then defense a, a distant third. Um, so it's, it's nice to – right now, they're going to need advantages on special teams. They're going to need to pin teams deep. The Cardinals aren't in a position with their defense, like you mentioned, Blake, to give teams short fields. And so I, you know, I'm anxious to see this unit as it evolves into next year. You know, can they find a dynamic returner? But, you know, it's, it's one of the bright spots on this season. Um, and, it, you know, as we trans, translate to, you know, the Niner game this weekend and the excitement that's around the Cardinals and Murray, on the flip side, you've got a San Francisco team that just lost its first game this season. And they Oh, uh, did we lose John at least for that one? Uh, we might have lost him at least with that one here. So uh, let me at least go ahead and continue with some of the talk that we have as we kind of may have had a cell phone tower change here. Um, the Cardinals, at least for me, I wanted to at least go and talk about the defense. Um, uh, we'll take a quick break over here for the commercial, but I wanted to bring up this idea that the Cardinals 2019 defense is the same as their 2018 offense. We are back over here on the Revenge of the Birds podcast. And so for me with the Cardinals this year, because they are ranked right now as the worst team, uh, as the worst team on offense in stopping the run, excuse me, stopping the worst team on defense in stopping the run last year, 
Um, for me, it's just it's inexcusable. The fact is that you can argue whether it's Steve Kime's fault for assembling the roster and talent he did, whether it's um, just players are not making plays. Although at this point, we've seen enough, I think, from Vance Joseph to recognize that there's too much at least soft zone that's being played. There's not enough they've been able to do as far as getting to the passer. You weren't able to limit Jameis running the ball. You weren't able to stop essentially screen passes. So what I would at least have to say is I think that you should treat this team just like how you did with the Cardinals 2018 offense. Look at the defense exact same way. You've got a couple pieces on offense. They had with Kirk, Fitzgerald, and um, essentially they decided to say, hey, like we're going to go ahead and be able to bring back A.Q. Shipley. Um, other than that, they pretty much nuked most of the offense. They got rid of all of the guys who were there, including Chad Williams and more. Um, they had a few guys who were hurt and injured, but they ended up letting go, obviously, of a guy like Andre Smith. They even let go of Josh Rosen as well for Kyler Murray. I think that it's the same thing you need to have with this defense. You need to essentially recognize that uh, this defense is broken. Not that it's harmed, it's broken. And as a result, what that really does focus on is it puts a huge white spotlight onto Steve Keim. And to me, it also kind of makes it where there's a question now that I have of, if this defense, from what we've seen, is not going to change, they're not going to alter their approach, they're not going to stop playing some of the soft man, they're not going to be changing up their blitzes for that one. Um, if that's not going to be the case, then I want to know, is it the talent that's ultimately the issue where Vance Joseph is having to adapt to the talent, or is it going to be an issue of the actual coordinator themselves? So here's where I've come to. I think at this point I have seen enough of Vance Joseph I've seen enough of what he's done overall. I see just enough, at least, where I'm ready for Billy Davis to basically say, all right, Billy, come on in. You're back over as the Cardinals DC. Run the rest of this defense. Let's see. Can you do things that are different where there's improvement? Just show improvement. If you can show improvement with the players that are currently there, then you can at least be able to say, okay, this was more of a, you know, this is more of an issue where we had the wrong guy as the head coach, as the head coach of the defense. He brought in a lot of the guys. The staff still had the same problem in Denver, was either stubborn or did not was not able to work it out. You can at least then identify if there's improvement. Maybe some of it was just simply as he had a choice of leaving the linebacker scheme there. Billy Davis moves him to a different place. I just want to be able to know that because if nothing changes and it turns into the same spot that we saw last year, the same place the Cardinals were in where you saw Byron Leftwich take over and a few changes in the run game, but ultimately practically no difference in offense, then that's it. Then you know for a fact this defense was put in place by Steve Keim, went back to a 4-3, and did not improve. That is ultimately what it comes down to, is that the Cardinals' defense got worse. from Last year, they were 19th overall in defense in yards, and versus the pass, they were 12th. They were 32nd against the run, and that's part of where I think with Vance Joseph's issue is, if it is truly a talent issue, is if he's selling out to stop the run at the cost of giving up yards, then that's that's basically about all you can do. So I am very much of the opinion, at least, where um, I believe the Cardinals are going to have Vance Joseph the rest of the year, but Zach Allen's not coming back. Robert Alford, we've heard nothing from. He's not going to come back through that door. What you're seeing with this Cardinals team that's giving up 28.1 points per game is what you're going to get. And as a result, it's an anchor around the weight of the offense, forcing them into having to play perfect win games. Now, as a result of that, you take a look at their upcoming schedule. You've got the Niners this week. You've got the Rams the next following week. The Rams are having issues overall too, but they're not having issues as far as yards still, even with Gurley, even with the struggles they've had with their offensive line. Um, you're also then looking at the Steelers game. The Browns have had issues and struggles, and then you finish the season against the, uh, the hot Seattle Seahawks who – dealt the first loss of the season to the Niners, and then also the St. Louis Rams to kind of cap off your season. Looking at those games saying, John, uh, there's not going to be a game that the Cardinals are favored in throughout the rest of the season. That's that's how it is. And the reason why is because this defense that's been assembled by Steve Keim, he's the one who went and found Vance Joseph. He's the one who's brought in the players, the coaches, and the talent, and it's gotten worse. It hasn't gotten better. And to me, as a result, what I would at least push for for the Cardinals is you need to treat this 2019 Cardinals defense the same way you treated their offense, by scrapping it down to whatever you have that's left over 
and essentially just saying, hey, we're building around Byron. We've got Hicks under contract. He's at least a smart player. We know what we have in Chandler Jones, and we know what we're getting at least in a guy like Byron Murphy and Buda Baker. So that that's for me is my two cents on what the Cardinals should have to do. And to me, that also then reflects onto the general manager of, you know, how many mulligans do you want to give when you've seen this defense essentially since being a national uh, national conference championship level that was good enough to get them there. Now, all of a sudden, you know, uh, it feels like the team's been broken ever since Tyron Matthews injury. Now, all of a sudden, you're talking about a defense has gotten so worse through each year now. They're 31st right now. Overall, the only team that's worse than them in defense is a team that does not have a single win on the season. A team that many are wondering if they're going to go 0-16. That's how bad this defense is. It's gotten unbearable to the point where I think that it's a disservice to fans to continue to trot Vance Joseph out there week after week. Um, if you're going to let him go at the end of the season, okay, fine. That's that's how it's going to go. If you're saying you want to bring him back for round two and you're saying you don't have enough talent for that, then I, I don't see any reason then why you would want to make that the case and still hold on to the same general manager. Well, we even saw this with Steve Wilkes. If you're going to bring back Steve Wilkes and Josh Rosen, as we've seen in Miami and as we've almost even kind of seen to some extent against the run in Cleveland, you kind of know what you're going to get. And that is just ultimately unfortunate, I think, for the Cardinals fan base to have to watch this team that right now should probably be, you know, after the three wins that they had, at least four wins right now, looking at potentially gaining two more to hit that six, nine and one threshold. Now it's it's going to be hard to see it. Can they win? two more games this year can they win one more game this year that's only a one game improvement from when they they were at a year ago despite the fact that their offense jumped from 32nd into um, at least league average which is an awesome crazy story with what cliff and kyler have done but the defense right now it's in a point where it's so bad we you just have to say you know shoot it into the sun we'll go back over and it's where i think that we need to talk about to our next position at least is what do the Cardinals do to improve on defense? And does it start with what they have with Patrick Peterson and with David Johnson? And does it mean that they move on from those core players? That'll be what we'll kind of talk about here next over on the Revenge of the Birds podcast. All right, John, here we're going to go ahead and I'll pose this question to you now. The Cardinals' uh, defense, it seems there's got to be changes made. Does that change, do you believe, start with the Cardinals' In some case, moving on from Patrick Peterson and David Johnson, how would you see, is that something that the Cardinals should do? Is that something where we're almost even regretting that now? And how do you think that they should go about doing it? What are your thoughts there, John? I think absolutely in the offseason, they will explore David Johnson trade. Uh, I'm pretty pretty certain of that. Um, I don't know if they're going to have any takers, Blake, with his inflated contract. Maybe they offer to eat some of it. Um, maybe they trade him away for, you know, a, a day three pick to a, a team that needs a running back. That position you saw with the lack of demand for guys like Lavian Bell, it's so, so dependent on young, cheap assets. Um, the best coaches like Bill Belichick just run his running backs into the ground, supplement them with cheap guys, mostly undrafted guys uh, outside of Sony Michelle, and then move on. The teams that pay running backs, we're starting to see it now. David Johnson, not what he was. Todd Gurley, not what he was. Even folks in Dallas are saying, man, did the, did the Cowboys make a mistake paying Ezekiel Elliott? So I think they would love to trade him because I think they want to move on with Kenyon Drake and Chase Edmonds, maybe a draft pick, kind of do running back by committee. But I don't know if they're going to have any takers. I don't know if anybody's going to want to take on that you know, inflated contract that's part of the reason, Blake, I don't think they're going to put him on IR. I think they want to showcase him these final, you know, seven, eight games to, to show the rest of the league, look, he can still be a dynamic pass catcher, but I, I don't know if they're going to, I would, I would lean no. I think, I think he's going to be on the team next year, not because they, they don't want to trade him, but because they can't. Patrick Peterson's a different story. I, I inevitably think that they will still hang on to him, considering that they opted to keep him now. Um, now, if, if Steve Kime is replaced internally or outside of the organization, I think all bets are off. I, I do think right now with the, you know, his, his cap hit is, is fairly manageable. I don't think he's going to hold out. Um, he's in the last year of his contract. I, I do think that 
they're going to go into next year and they're going to, he's going to probably be a good soldier because he knows he's got one year left. And then if you're in a similar position next trade deadline with the Cardinals potentially not being, you know, 500 or better, I could see them finally move, moving off of him then knowing that you can get something for him. But I, I think they've had so many opportunities to deal him so many legitimate offers too. I told you about that one from Philadelphia, but right now I, I would think both are back on the team next year, maybe with in, in Johnson's case, slightly restructured salary, but, but goodness that you talk about two right now, non-factors on the team that are taking up almost $30 million in cap space. Blake, it's, it's really disappointing to see. Yeah, definitely is because it means that you missed the eval. When David Johnson was, you look at the Melvin Gordon holdout and how that's turned out at least. The Cardinals paid David Johnson coming off of that injury, coming off of that season, even coming off of you know the kind of bye week area before, and they paid him like he was going to be a top five running back. Despite the fact he was a bit older, he had the one season, he obviously had a great rookie season. And it just seems to me, at least overall, John, that ever since that injury that he sustained at the end of the 2016 season in the Rams game, uh, where we at least heard that afterwards that, you know, his wife essentially was like looking at that. It was fear that it was going to be a major injury. Then it seemed like he was fine. And she just kind of flipped out, wanted him to essentially retire. It's been a known fact probably since like early 2017. Johnson even said as much overall in a radio interview. So ever since that point, um, even in the 2017 game, he didn't seem to have the same type of you know, ability or cuts. Um, whatever case, I just wonder if and this is maybe a little bit of a strange comparison, but if you compare it to Kurt Warner taking that big hit at the end of the Saints game and how his wife essentially was like wanting him to retire, I just wonder if since then his heart hasn't truly been in it. Now, you can't obviously just go when the NFL is there, but I do wonder if it's just it's a misevaluation by the Cardinals. And secondly, with Peterson, like we've talked about, um, Eagle sources did confirm that there was at least a first-round pick for the most part that was offered for Peterson. Now it's like we've got the injury. Maybe I'm, uh, I'm not going to try to put words in teams in their mouths, but Peterson's 29. He's going to be, uh, what is it, like uh, 29, I think, at least by the end of the season and 30 at the end of next season. Then he becomes a free agent. Like this is a case, I think, where the Cardinals essentially have, uh, for lack of a better term, John, we've talked about it, think that they've kind of almost convinced themselves, at least, that Peterson is not going to have the same thing happen to them that Tony Jefferson did, that Calais Campbell did. And they've seemed to evaluate him at a high enough standpoint where they've been willing to give him that kind of Cardinal for life deal. But the way that he's been playing the last three weeks and the way that he took that injury, it's like there's going to be serious question marks, I think, about his return to play, especially with having to deal with the performance enhancing drugs and the PEDs. Like it almost looks like that he's a guy who's coming off of PEDs and he's needed them the last few weeks, which is got to be concerning overall, especially because you see what this team did after Daryl Washington and, and it's also the case of if you're going to be essentially trusting a lot of this cap room, like we've even gone over, it's $20 million for sure in cap space next year. If you're entrusting that to two older players who are part of essentially your past and kind of trusting them to be a certain part of your future when they're not performing in the present, to me, John, that's a huge mistake. And to me, I think it's an enormous gaffe by Steve Keim um, to go into the situation where the kind of the best way out, I see at least, is you're going to have to probably give up something to have someone take David Johnson off your hands if you're going to do that, or hopefully at least convert him into some sort of receiver. And with Peterson, like you're either going to have to keep him through through next year and then take a third if he does get signed to a large contract at most for a condition, you know, a uh, compensatory pick, or deal him for maybe a second-round pick. And that's still a loss because the Cardinals evaluated them poorly Likely, from what we heard, they wanted two first-round picks for a 29-year-old corner. The same thing Jalen Ramsey got at his age. To me, that just feels like it's an inexcusable move by the general manager, and it has me eventually convinced that Steve Keim, for whatever he did, whatever he's brought to them, at least with this one, or whether that's him or Michael Bidwell, who's essentially wanting to kind of hold on to these players, you have to be able to take a step toward the future whether you want to or not. And to me, I don't feel like that the current Cardinals with the, either the scouting or the management, they're just not doing it. And I think it's become very clear to most fans now that we've talked about this. As long as the players are producing, things are all right. Things are fine. When they're producing below their contract, it's not good. 
when you're looking at what they're currently doing, it looks like a disaster right now, John. Yeah, and here's the here's the good news, bad news for Cardinal fans. Um, when you talk about the cap situation next year, Cardinals have eighty million dollars in cap space um, and could have more if they if they tweak the roster. Assuming they keep <laughs> yeah, if, if they can and, trade those two guys, you add twenty million in cap space. All of a sudden, well, you're I'm, talking I'm about hundred million. Yeah, like, yeah, bit, yeah I'm, but let's say saying, let's right? say hypothetically. <laughs> Let's say hypothetically they keep both of them, or they're kind of you know I I think Peterson definitely, and then they're kind of forced to keep DJ. They're going to have eighty plus million in cap space still, and they could still maneuver some of the mid tier guys off the roster and save a little bit of money here or there. What I will say is that because of Kyler Murray's contract, and because of the fact that the Cardinals, outside of maybe a Buda Baker and a DJ Humphreys, who I think is probably going to be franchised. They do not have a lot of long-term commitment contracts to hand out. Now, right. That the reason for that in relation to like a team like Dallas is because the Cardinals have drafted so poorly that they don't have a ton of internal guys to extend. And so with that being said, the Peterson and the Johnson contracts next year are easier to stomach specifically Johnson, because I think we think Patrick's going to play well next year specifically with David the Cardinals can eat a bad year of David Johnson because they're not paying anybody else you look at the who are the best players right now on this team Kyler Murray makes no money in 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 relation to quarterbacks within the league right Christian Kirk is their number one receiver right now he's making pennies on the dollar and probably will look at a contract extension a year maybe two years from the end of the season Defensively, Buda Baker is, is the number one candidate, I think, for an extension. But outside of him, Byron Murphy is a rookie. The Thompsons are rookies. Your defensive line, you know, maybe you, you throw Rodney Gunter a nice contract, but nothing crazy. The Cardinals don't have anybody to extend. So, it's, you know, they're not pressed to let somebody walk to free agency that they otherwise couldn't, a la the situation, you know, after – 2009, when they let go of Bolden because of his contract, Antrell Rowan left. You lost um, Carlos Dansby. You lost a bunch of really good players because you couldn't afford them because of bad contracts. Cardinals aren't in that position now. So uh, they're going to add talent and free agency. They're going to load up on defense, is my guess. Maybe look for uh, a right tackle or an outside receiver. But for the most part, defensive line, I think, and, and secondary. And then in the draft, they're going to be able to maneuver and do what they want to do. So uh, everybody, relax. You can do it for a year, and they'll be fine. And I think at the end of the day, they're going to probably look at it that way too, especially with Peterson. Now, if they get a a crazy offer in the offseason, sure, you you pull the trigger, hopefully. But I also think that Steve Keim and Michael Bidwell feel like this team is going to be a playoff contender, meaning they they think they could be a, a fringe Eight and eight, nine and seven, ten and sixteen. Oh, things they've break, got right? a race to go to before they get right. there. Is what it looks like. But of course, I, and, you know how yeah. how they operate, and Kime knows. I'm looking at two top ten picks back to back. It's time for me to get back over five hundred, and they they will look at it like Pat, trading Patrick Peterson doesn't help us do that. So at the end of the day, they're going to shed all their dead money. They're going to have, I think, one contract of dead money left. And it's it's not. I think it's for less than two million dollars. The name escapes me right now. And so you're you're looking at mm-hmm. okay. I can swallow Peterson's contract. I can swallow DJ's contract for another year. Murray is just the he just is the gift that keeps on giving. He's your best player as a rookie, and his contract is pennies on the dollar. And he he's going to help you contend. Now the Cardinals just need to do their best in supplementing all of their weaknesses and getting legitimate playmakers around him, both offensively and then defensively, guys who can rush the pass or stop the run and take the ball away. So I, I, don't, I don't know if we can deem Steve Kime as the right individual to do that, but I do not think between their draft capital and their contract um, situation, that's going to prevent them from having those opportunities. But they got to pick the right players, Blake. Right, and uh, I think you even pointed this out on Twitter Cardinals, two outside starting wide receivers in Trent Sherfield and Keyshawn Johnson combined for zero catches and zero yards. Even had the interception of Murray that happened with Sherfield falling down. Um, 
That is against the, yeah, that's against the 32nd ranked passing defense. And that is one of the areas where at least give credit to Kyler for being able to work with that. But that is just, you know, it's almost 2018 offensive numbers for those two guys. So that is the case as far as why we're talking about with some of the ideas and weapons. And, you know, you'll hopefully get Andy Isabella another year with him. Maybe we'll have to see if he's in more of the slot. You're hoping that Larry Fitzgerald continues his career. Um, you're going to be getting maybe a guy like Hakeem Butler back. But overall, John, you're going to need to essentially get a guy who's outside who can be a big threat for Murray at some point. And you're also going to have to obviously be able to figure out your tackle situation. Justin Pugh at least had a decent game. Uh, he had one sack that he got beaten on pretty badly. And then I believe there was an internal rush that Ndamukong Sue um, was able to get to Kyler Murray on third down, uh, sacked him. That was just before that fake punt, I believe. But yeah, this is the case where, and this is where I kind of feel, John, I don't have as much concern about the Cardinals' first round pick despite what Kimes' past history has been just because I think that the needs overall are pretty clear. You want to make sure that you're getting, you know, a playmaker on the offensive side of the ball. There's a ton of them this year, You're or you're grabbing a guy to be able to protect Kyler. There's a ton of them. The Cardinals are picking right now 10th in the draft. Um, because of the amount of bad teams that are in there, they only moved up one spot, at least in that order. So you're pretty sure, at least you're, from what we can tell, the Cardinals, unless they are able to pump out two or three more wins, you're probably landing at least a top 10 pick. Those are usually not hard or difficult picks. The thing I think you're right about, John, is that you have to wonder, do you have enough faith and trust in the team to be able to supplement the rest of the different positions while they have the cap room and cap space and not get bogged down with some of those awful deals that you saw that were made uh, in 2018 that the Cardinals are still paying off now. So that's where I think you'll have to get into with those. Um, as far as for that position itself, have your mind changed anything or what, what are your thoughts as far as, cause I see so many Cardinals fans now who are not fans of, but almost kind of like, Oh, well, it doesn't matter. You know, if the Cardinals lost or just one step closer to, you know, reuniting Kyler and CD lamb and, I feel like that's a little bit much to be able to take a look at one specific player. Now, granted, he's been looking better. Oh, shoot. looks like we've lost him. All right. Well, we'll tune that in and we'll pick up next week's show, at least, that we'll do right from that question from the get-go. Uh, in the meantime, at least overall, uh, I'll give at least my final score prediction as we look at this Niners game. I think it's going to be a little bit of a lower scoring affair, potentially from the last one. Um, I do think that this is the one thing that would worry me is if the Cardinals are so depleted on defense and are on the road that you still end up seeing a great game overall from Garoppolo, um, I, especially with their tackles back. I'm going to go ahead and I would predict uh, kind of a similar game. I would go with 28-21 Niners. Um, I think that this is a game where uh, maybe this is a trap game for the Niners. The Cardinals can contend and this is kind of their steal one in the NFC West week. I still think that they're just too talented on defense and on offense, even with missing some of those pieces. Uh, I think on the road, it's going to be a bit tougher. I think that Kyler is going to end up continue to play well. I do think, however, that this is maybe the game where I could see a Kenyon Drake fumble and uh, potentially you have another maybe batted interception, at least for the most part with the receiver core. I think that the Niners are a team that could take advantage of that. Uh, it being a road environment, because the Cardinals have to play perfectly if they can on offense, and or can just maybe make one or two stops on defense, take advantage. I think that this would be a game then that maybe they could win. And we can come off of this at least seeing the team take a step forward. Um, I'm in a really interesting spot, I think, as far as with um, we haven't talked as much, I think, about with the GM or the future. But uh, what I do think at least is clear right now is the Cardinals have a lot of decisions to make. They've got six games left you'll be able to use. And this is kind of the trial period to say, hey, uh, show me something that you've got. Um, Maybe it's even something as simple as making the choice to say, hey, we're going to go ahead and put David Johnson, as soon as Chase Edmonds is back, we can put him on the shelf at least. Um, maybe it's essentially having to make it a choice and approach that uh, maybe it's a little bit unorthodox as far as with your defense, just making sure you can do some sort of change to show a step forward of not being willing to keep letting um, other teams put up 28 points a game on you. Uh, four touchdowns to be able to at least put something forward as far as an effort. I um, would love to see a complete effort from the team, even if it ends in a loss. Would love to see the team get over the 30 point range if it's possible against the Niners. Um, we'll end up seeing if you can get the game to overtime, even if you do lose, that'll be enough of a win for me. 
Well, that'll basically wrap it up for this edition here of the Revenge of the Birds podcast. Thank you guys for uh, listening in, tuning in, um, kind of dealing with a lot of it for the most part. I know there was a little bit of technical things there. That's just how it happens when you're on the road. Uh, appreciate you guys for listening. As always, you can find us on uh, revengeofthebirds.com. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, uh, TuneIn Radio, um, even places like Stitcher and Himalaya, um, wherever your regular podcasts are found. I'm Blake Murphy7. My co-host, as always, is at Johnny Touchdown on Twitter. Uh, make sure that you're tuning in. Uh, go Cardinals, and we'll see you guys next time.